Let me see if I can get my chair. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. It was a beautiful, sunny day yesterday. And um, as as viewers of this podcast know and listeners, I've been fighting a cold for since the last week of January, and I've had a bad cough, but it's finally going away. And yesterday, I finally felt well enough to like go for a long walk. And I went for a long walk through my, White Mud Creek along the creek bed. Beautiful day with my wife walking along. It was just fantastic to be outside. I really, really needed that and enjoyed that. Uh, you went for a walk too, you were saying? Yeah, I went way down the Sturgeon River out east of uh, St. Albert here. And uh, it's funny, you know, all summer long you walk down the banks of the Sturgeon or whatever, but, you know, the the river is a, is a, a no-go zone. But in the winter, it's like there's a whole new superhighway that runs right through the middle of St. Albert. And you can pretty much walk uh, or skidoo if you had one. Uh, the whole length of the thing it's starting to soften up now a bit. I think there's a couple places where you might not want to go, but uh, where I went yesterday was great, just beautiful and uh, and not crowded like the uh, Red Willow Trail was the previous couple of days. So many people out walking, and good for yeah. them. But it's pretty crowded in places. So <laughs> yeah, like I, the uh, Prime Minister today says, "Enough's enough." Like don't meet in big crowds outside, and I agree with that. Obviously, everybody does. But man, people got to get out. We just have to, you yeah. know, keep our distance. Get out and walk, though. Get out and exercise. Get out and yeah. see the world because it sure changes your your frame. All of a sudden, it seems like the world is still the world, and the, oh, this yeah. world of that we're reading and putting inside our heads uh, is, you know, th- this virus is kicking our ass right now. Everywhere in the world, we're in retreat. Almost everywhere. Singapore and Taiwan have had some good news and some really uh, in- interesting things that they've done there throughout this whole thing. But it's kicking our butts and it's getting us down. So it's good to get outside. So Bruce, well, today to we're get, gonna... good to get the uh, fresh air in your lungs. And uh, Saturday I saw a great horned owl. You know, I mean that's just a wonderful thing for one's spirits. And there, you know, it, it is a beautiful world even with the the troubles. Uh, yeah. So we need a little bit of balance in our lives, and uh, uh, I'm trying to find some, and I encourage our viewers to do the same. Here, here. All right, today we're doing our Cult of Hockey podcast, which is, uh, you know, we're doing it because it's our job, part, you know, partly because of that. But it also is picking up people's spirits, I've noticed from the comments on YouTube. And that's yep. encouraging to us to, to keep going and doing this. Um, sometimes it's hard to get away from all that other bad news and focus on this. But we're, we're still Oiler fans and we're still <laughs> thinking about the team now and then and writing our posts. So, Bruce, um, there's a little bit of... Uh, Good news, bad news on the signing fronts. The Oilers signed a young player, Raphael Lavoie. Yep. Um, but Philip Berglund, a draft pick uh, from 2015? 16. 16. He's yep. in the 16? 2016. Okay, that draft, the Pugliarby draft. Yes. Um, uh, he has decided to sign for another year in Skelleftia, where he plays on the same team as Oilers' top pick, Philip Broberg. And that's a bit of a... a not a happy move for the orders because because his rights are now going to run out for the orders the exclusive rights that the orders had and he will talk about those two things and then we're going to talk about an interesting uh piece that that came out just when the na we missed at the time because the whole world was going to hell real quick this is bruce garyosh 
his interview with Peter Shirelli, the first interview that former NHL GM Peter Shirelli has given um, about his time in Edmonton since he was uh, fired here. So there were some interesting things said in that um, that uh, interview, including Shirelli's desire to get another GM's job, which um, which uh, uh, I've written a post on now. So Bruce, let's start with Raphael Lavoie. Sure. Uh, first of all, what what do you think of the so the owners have signed him to an entry level contract? And Kurt Levins had an interesting post saying that he thinks the, the Bakersfield team is going to have fewer veteran players this year, this coming year, and more give more time and space for players like Lavoie. What do you think of Lavoie? Well, he's certainly promising for uh, you know for when they got him, which was uh, uh, beginning of the uh, second round. Uh, was he thirty eighth overall? And he's, it's, it's kind of amazing. He's very much a, 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 almost the equivalent of Ryan McLeod that the Oilers drafted the previous year in the second round. Uh, McLeod, they took 40th overall, Lavoie 38th. Uh, they're both big-bodied forwards around 6'3 or 6'4, 200 pounds. Uh, McLeod's a center, Lavoie's a, a winger. You know, their playing styles aren't similar, but they're both like, um, they were both among the oldest players in their draft class with a birthday just after September 15th. Uh, so they were basically already turned 19 in their first training camp or Lavoie Le- Le- will in this first training camp. And I think they got, in each case, they got a guy who was sort of touted to be a first rounder and I somehow slipped down and there was a one or two sort of negative things said about the guy and he slipped down a little bit. Um, but They've got, you know, a mature player who one year out from his draft is ready to go. I mean, after four years in the CHL, uh, he's got no more to learn at that level, just like Ryan McLeod didn't. And so he'll be uh, ready, uh, ready to roll. And as a big guy, you know, he should be able to hold his own in the AHL right off the hop. So uh, it was a it's kind of a no-brainer move, frankly. But he's got... Uh, um, he's got... Uh, 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 you know, he, he, he earned his contract and now he's, uh, he's ready to roll $870,000 cap hit average annual value of 925. I'm not never quite sure how they work out those differences, but some of that is, uh, is performance bonuses, uh, uh, that he likely won't get. So they've, uh, they've, uh, I think done done the right thing, got a good player, and he's coming off a pretty solid year. He averaged 1.5 points per game in the in the queue, playing for two teams in the queue this year, 38 goals and 44 assists in mm-hmm. 55 games. That's nice numbers. And huge shot totals. Like, he's really a volume shooter. Yeah. Kyler Yamamoto and, and Evan Bouchard were also older players. This has been yep. a trend in Oilers drafting Yes, uh, for some time now, where they take, mm-hmm. they're taking guys who are closer to 19 than to 18 in mm-hmm. is that no 17 to 18 when they draft them they're closer to they're when closer they draw, to 18 they're already yeah. 18 and they're soon to turn 19 yeah so they've been doing this for some time and this is part of this trend although with philip broberg they went in the opposite direction because he was a very yes. young player one of the youngest players mm-hmm. taken that year in the draft so um what kurt was saying was he expected that the oilers would be going with as far as i read it fewer veteran players at the ahl level and when I look at their team this year, Bruce, I, I think, like, uh, like honestly, I just think they chose some of the wrong veteran players. They had Ryan Stanton on their team last year. Ryan Stanton was probably, like, 
for the AHL, he was their best defenseman last year. And they lost him to another team in California because they had Keegan Lowe signed to uh, a two-year deal. And all due respect to Keegan Lowe, he just was, he's a mediocre player, even at the AHL level, like honestly. I know that they talk him up and he's a good leader, but um, they made the wrong choice there. And I think that was a really important, bad decision by the team. This year, they were also hurt because Shane Sterrett was was, um, hurt most of the year. Let me just have a look here. Shane Sterrett played in 14 games and he had an 874 save percentage he had been like one of the hl's best goalies the year before so you know i I think you're allowed to have what five older players in the ahl i don't like i don't know i just maybe they're going to go for focus on younger players i know i don't think that carol maximoff for instance got enough playing time this year although he did by the end of the year he was getting more playing time Mm -hmm. um you know, the, the players, the veteran players they did have, Brad Malone was okay this year. Um, again, Keegan Lowe, I, I'm, I, I didn't think was strong this year. Joe Gambardella kind of took a step back, yep. I think, a little bit. He was injured as well. Um, let me just see here. Uh, Josh Curry was okay. He was a good player. He's a good little player at the HL level. Mm-hmm. But um, they had Colby Cave for much of the year. He was okay, but not great. Cooper Marodi, he's a younger player. Anyway. He was hurt I, all I don't year, think, Cooper Marodi. That, was, that was a big, big blow to that team. He was a, he was a star player for them in 2018-19. Totally. And then this year, I mean, he got injured by that goofball, uh, Kale Kessie in the playoffs, uh, who was brought in for one game uh, seemingly to go, go out and cause grief and destruction, which he did. Uh, and uh, that kind of set uh, Marodi off the rails in the summertime. And then I understand he got a concussion this year, whether it's related or a, or a new concussion. Who knows? But uh, he just was not a force. And when, even when he played, like Shane Starrett, you know, he, he, he played some games. But even when he was in there, he wasn't really there. Not the player that they'd come to rely on in the previous year. And, and uh, you know, we're talking about guys that were... Uh, in the case of Starrett, he was on the uh, AHL second team All-Star. He was all-rookie goalie. And, you know, he was he was a massive player in that huge 17-game winning streak that they had a uh, year before last. I think he won 14 of those games. And, they, you know, and they're tight. And so they, you know, they lost both young players like Marodi, but more specifically older guys. And as you say, you know, I mean, just... At a fundamental level, they signed Keegan Lowe to a two-year contract and Ryan Stanton to a one-year contract. Well, in retrospect, you kind of wish they'd done that the other way around. But uh, Stanton played, his contract expired, and he moved on. And that's sometimes that's the cost of doing business. And um, Brandon Manning played 21 games for the team, minus 14, mm-hmm. Bruce. Brandon, like, um, and then there was, of course, the 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 the, the, the racial incident that 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 uh, mm-hmm. was was really bad. So, uh, and I I think like I think there's might be a sense in the organization like players like Samarukov and Maximov, uh, maybe McLeod even didn't quite get enough ice time um, down there. I'm not sure, um, but uh, certainly when when Ma- when Lavoie joins the team and with Maximov, Samarukov, McLeod in their second year down there, which they're all going to be down there. Um, they need to play a lot. They definitely, and they need to be surrounded by good vets. So part part of the problem this year was the vets they had weren't good enough and part of them, they were injured. So maybe they're just, maybe it's just, I think what we're hearing maybe is just a dissatisfaction with the veterans that they had down there 
there mm-hmm. this particular year. And although some of them played well, a lot of them didn't. Yeah, one comment on Ryan McLeod. Low Tide had a really interesting item on him in his blog yesterday, I think it was. And our old friend Eric Rogers from Oklahoma City <clears throat> days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric has done for years, even after the even after the team left Oklahoma City, he's done a, a form of analysis that tries to estimate uh, ice time for players based on how many events they were on the ice for, you know, plus minus goals, uh, and, and as a proxy for how much ice time they had. And Ryan McLeod, uh, by that measure, had the most points per sixty of any. Bakersfield player at even strength, Ryan McLeod, and he didn't play on the power play, so his like his overall points totals are not particularly good. But at even he did strength, now and then, scored, didn't he? and and he killed and he killed penalties, uh, pretty well from from what I from what I saw and from what I heard, he was pretty good on the PK. So lots of promise there, kind of under the radar because if you look at his numbers, you'll say ah he didn't do a whole lot, but he did a fair bit with the with the time that he had, and of course he started the year as a you know, just barely turned 20-year-old raw rookie. Like, he would have been among the young, very youngest players in the league. That is the advantage, eh? Like, you take the player when he's older in the draft, but it means he can get to the AHL earlier. Is that yes. not true? That is yes. true, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, okay, so uh, McLeod got uh, 23 points <clears throat> in 56 games, I think. Yeah, 23 points. He did play a little bit on the power play, Bruce. I remember watching games where he would be the net front guy on the power play. Okay. So he did get some ice time there. Um, Anyway, yeah, Uh, we'll see how things develop in Bakersfield. They got no major issue at all with, obviously, the the owners just kept getting good player after good player from Bakersfield all year long. Caleb Jones, Ethan Bearer, Yamamoto. uh, So uh, Jay Woodcroft and um, Dave Manson. They're the two coaches that I know their names down there. They're obviously doing some really good work down there. And uh, I don't have any real quibble. Uh, you know, every team's going to have a few contracts that maybe didn't work out. That's just the nature of hockey. Bruce, um, let's talk about Philip Berglund now. Sure. Um, he was the draft pick. Was he fourth round? Third round. Third round. End okay. of the third round of uh, 2016. Okay. And he was the third third round pick that the Oilers had that year and they used all three of them on defensemen and after the great draft they had in 2016 where they drafted defenseman Ethan Bear in the fourth round Caleb Jones in the fifth round and John Marino in the sixth whoa, round whoa Not that's bad. almost historic man that's yeah that's yeah, good. yeah yeah that's getting into Barry Fraser Marino. country yeah if only they'd sign Marino well the next year they went all in on D-men in the third round and they uh, they drafted Marcus Niemelainen, Matt Cairns, and Philip Berglund. And it looks like they're going to strike out on three pitches, frankly, because uh, um, Berglund was by far the best of the three based on what he's done since. He was actually the one picked last, 91st overall. Uh, and he's been with Schleftia uh, these years. This year he was actually a partner of uh, New Oilers draft hope, uh, Philip Broberg. And he had a fine year in Shalefdia. He was their top-scoring defenseman with uh, five goals and 20 points, uh, 52 games. Pretty good in the Swedish league for for a D-man. Uh, but news filtered out last week that he has committed to playing next year uh, with a different team, Lynn Coping. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's moved, He signed a two-year, or he's come to terms on, I don't know when, what the 
in ins and outs of when you're allowed to sign a contract. Well, often the word gets out on these European guys a little ahead of those deadlines. And uh, uh, for instance, last year we knew about Joachim Nigard coming to Edmonton long before July 1st when he actually signed, right? So anyway, um, he, apparently he's going to Lincoping. There was a um, some Swedish language reports that that basically <clears throat> confirmed it. Going to rejoin his old coach Bert Robertson, former NHL player, played with uh, Vancouver Canucks among other teams. And uh, uh, Oilers had until this July 1st to sign him, four years out from the draft for a European. And it sounds like you know, and this so this was the window, and he's gone in another direction. Uh, of the other guys in that same round, Marcus Niemelainen, uh, he's got the same deadline, July 1st, 2020, and he's become more of a defense first, last, and only uh, player. Uh, but it looks like, and I can't find quite a strong language confirming it, but that he's uh, he's listed in elite prospects as, as going to play for Assat in the Finnish league next season. So if he's still there by then, unless the Oilers sign him and lend him back, uh, he won't be coming. And Matt Cairns, meanwhile, is coming off a dandy season in the uh, NC2A, his junior year, in which he scored one point and going oh. nowhere fast. I had so heard that, earlier this year, Bruce, I think maybe from Kurt, mm-hmm. the owners were thinking of bringing in both Mimaline and Ann Berglund. I, I heard mm-hmm. that at one point as a rumor. Yeah. And um, looks like neither. Now, Berglund, he's, he, in his previous years, he, 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 here's his point totals in the last four years, nine, 13, 11, and then he jumped to 20 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was second on the team in power play, or excuse me, um, actually third on the team in ice time this year. But probably getting some power play time. Looks right. like, yeah, he was getting power play time. Um, second on the team for defensemen for shots in, on net. So um, from Berglund's perspective, I can see why he might think he's not yet ready for the NHL. I mean, he's not at the very top rung of Swedish league defensemen. Right. He's just below that. Um, he might think a couple more years, he'll be 25 by then. Um, two more years in the Swedish league. That doesn't hurt him. It doesn't hurt his doesn't help his bargaining position because you'll still have to sign in an entry-level contract when he comes over to the NHL. But, you know, and with and with honestly, with the coronavirus crisis, people might be thinking, like, let's just play it safe. And here's someone I know. This doesn't hurt my long term development. So I can see what he's thinking. Um, It's if the Oilers were interested in signing him, that's that's kind of a shame that he's not going to go to Baker's. Field next year, but you know the orders have a lot of defensemen still. Bruce yeah. Samarukov needs playing time. Yep. Um, Bouchard, Evan Bouchard could still easily be in the minors next year. So, um, yeah, he would have he would have been a nice ad, nice right shot defenseman. Sounds yeah. like he's got a pretty all round game. You know, now he's adding the offense to it. Pretty when well, I've seen him, he looks smooth, and you know he's got uh, you know he, he he's. Uh, uh, he's got a lot of tools, but um, uh, the rules are different. You know, you have if you draft a guy out of Europe, you got four years to sign him, not the two that you have with a Canadian junior, but uh, four years. Uh, whereas if you sign a guy and then he goes back to Europe, you have all the way up to his 27th birthday, which uh, we've recently talked about with Anton Slepichev, and which is also the, uh, as I understand it, the prevailing scenario with Yesapuliarvi. Uh, that you have that teams have way longer leash to bring a guy back before he's allowed to sign elsewhere as a free agent. But if he's never signed at all, once the four-year window is gone, 
you know, Philip Bergman could sign with any other NHL team. Yes. Uh, as soon as his Lynn Coping contract expires in two years. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. I mean, there's the this this opens things up, Bruce, for our favorite um, player that we see we've seen a couple years now in uh, Dev Camp development camp for the Oilers, Michael Kesselring. Uh, <laughs> Six foot six. Let's see what kind of year did he have. Let's just quickly uh, go there. So Kesselring played this year in Northeastern University, which is a good university program in the United States. He had five points in uh, 34 games. So um, looks like he was playing fairly regularly at a, at a good school. He's a great big guy. I like his game a lot, but he's going to obviously be in school. So I can see why the owners would have wanted Berling, Berglund, yeah, and that's sure. a loss. Um Want to move on now to the Shirelli stuff. Okay. Alrighty. So Peter Shirelli has given an interview to uh, Bruce Garriock of the Ottawa Sun, where he talks about his um, time in Edmonton, kind of vaguely about mistakes he may or may not have made, is how I would frame it, and also about his very real desire to get another NHL job. And Bruce, um, one of the things he talks about in, in terms of a problem for getting an NHL job, and we'll start here with this, is kind of um, his reputation was blemished in Edmonton, and he's and it's hard to shake. And his quote is from Shirley is, "When you come out of the job and you're fired, especially in a Canadian market, it's a difficult exercise." As I found out, I really wasn't exposed to that in Boston. There's a negative narrative out there, and you can't really rebut on why you did things. There certainly is a negative narrative, Bruce. But you know what? I would say that Shirelli, him not getting a job right now, I mean, how many kicks at the can do most guys get? He's had two kicks at the can as an NHL GM. Those mm -hmm. are pretty choice jobs, lots of competition. I mean, he did have real success in Boston. And he's yep. had more success in Edmonton than, you know, the, the uh, much vaunted Kyle Dubas has had in Toronto uh, you could argue at least the least least the Oilers made it to the second round of the playoffs one year something won wow. a playoff series something Dubas's Leafs have never done so but there and there really is a negative narrative but I I would say to Shirelli like honestly Pete like you've had two kicks at it it really didn't work out that well uh, at the end in Boston where you got fired or in Edmonton where you got fired now you could you could argue that both he kind of left both teams in pretty good place for a pretty good place, Boston and Edmonton. But, um, you know, how many how many NHL jobs do guys get as a GM, Bruce? I know as a coach, it's not uncommon for three, four times, but as a GM, three kicks of the cat as a GM, how, I don't know, I'd have to look at that. Not that common, I don't think. I think Brian Burke. Burkey? <laughs> Just a one, one guy that we were talking about <laughs> yep. recently where I looked at his overall record. There's been a couple of guys, but yeah, GM tenures tend to be longer. Yeah. So... So we generally, I mean, because the GM gets to fire two or three coaches before he himself gets canned. Uh, I kind of disagree with Chirelli's assessment that he wasn't exposed in Boston. Uh, like the narrative in the short time between him being fired by Boston and hired by Edmonton was Boston fans saying he left the team in a bad spot with a lot of overpaid veterans on uh uh, you know, that really were up against the salary cap and look out for what happens with uh uh, you know, with, uh, you know, Chris Kelly and, and players of that ilk, uh, you know, on long-term multi-million dollar packs. 
Um, and, and there was a reason Boston got rid of him. Uh, one thing Shirley said in the interview that I, that I do agree with is that he probably didn't wait long enough between getting let go by Boston and being hired by Edmonton. It was like a week. And, you know, he really didn't. He just wanted to get right back at it. And uh, it was, uh, he says it was a mistake. And I tend to agree with him. It probably was a mistake. You know, not saying that Ken Holland didn't do very similar, but at least he did it on his own terms as opposed to getting fired and having to find work somewhere else. He chose to, to, uh, uh, to move on when his circumstances changed. But uh, in Shirelli's case, uh, he came into a choice situation. Man, you look at the assets Edmonton had in place the day Peter Shirelli arrived, which included the, you know, the Connor McDavid draft pick in his breast pocket, right? I mean, it wasn't, you know, he hadn't unwrapped the present yet, but we all knew what it was going to be. And officially, he gets credited, as he does in the Garriock article, as being the guy who drafted Connor McDavid. Well, you know, that was a, that was a, that was a given. But he also came into a team that had just added, uh, you know, some pretty choice picks of their own in previous drafts. All of um, Leon Dreisaitl, Darnell Nurse, Oscar Kleffbaum, Ryan Nugent Hopkins have been drafted in the previous four years. Uh, five years, if you include Taylor Hall, obviously, that he had. So he came into a young, talented uh, situation, and uh, he went heavy. And uh, oh, God. it worked <laughs> for a bit. But, yeah. you know, he when should have just been... He should have been satisfied with Maroon and Cassie and Bruce you know, uh, on the heavy side. The Lucic thing was a disaster. Yep. And uh, the ref, another heavy player brought in Griffin Reinhardt, another freaking disaster. And then then there's the, the Hall-Larsen trade. So, um, you know, I do think there is, you know, there's some really good drafting and player signing and player development that went under under Shirelli that I don't think he gets enough credit for. But he, he will mm-hmm. get credit for that. Is, is that... Yep. 100%. As that pans out in, in years to come, right? Like, you know, the drafting and development that went on, like we just talked about the Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, John Marino draft picks. You know, that's Bob Green, um, a lot of that. Um, so yeah. anyway, but um, he, I, I do think there there is a really, there's a group of people who don't give, like they have, they will give him uh, zero slack. Yeah. Zero slack and just focus on the, the, the Hall, Larson, Hall, Larson, Hall, Larson. And then Griffin Reinhardt, which is more of an issue in Edmonton. But the, there's a big narrative out there that he was a total, total screw up when really he just screwed up some things and got a few other things right. But o- overall, like he did, certainly deserved to be fired at the time. There's no, there's no denying that. And um, but the narrative, Bruce, which is which he's talking about, the negative narrative, I think really is super strong. And I think it's around the Hall Larson trade. That's the one thing that always comes up in NHL circles. So here's what Peter Shirelli said. Here's what, here's what Gary Osh wrote about um, that. And so I'll just read what Gary Osh wrote. Shirelli said that the move was made to allow McDavid to take over the dressing room and make sure the club had flexibility with its payroll down the road. Quote from Shirelli, that was a difficult one because we felt we wanted to give breathing room to Connor McDavid and, and with where the salaries would go, that's a long look. Uh, those are hard looks to execute. God, he talks in a weird way. Those are hard yeah. looks to execute. I like the player we got. Adam Larson is a good player, but he's not a sexy player. Uh, but he unfairly gets judged. 
but he unfairly gets judged because it was a lopsided trade perception-wise. I had one offer. In hindsight, I should have waited, but the development of Connor was very important, and we felt that we had to clear some room for him, both salary room and room in the dressing room. Now, Bruce, I can't address this dressing room stuff. I have no idea about the leadership stuff from the team, the internal dynamics of the team, where Hall fit into that. We all know, like, endless chit-chat rumors, mm-hmm. speculation, and I'm not getting into it for one second. I will say that with, without Hall, um, we do seem to have a strong leadership group, strong personalities, like Dreisaitl is a freaking strong personality you can see that he just exudes whatever it is he's got he exudes it oh. and Connor mcdavid he's now a big that player. is the sexy player <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and then there's darnell nurse again it's just whatever it is like yeah. he's a very charismatic individual you can mm-hmm. see like those three guys command attention and they've got a strong leadership group now so, I, so that's all i will say about that as for i do want to like the like i I don't think um, that Hall, that Adam Larson gets any kind of. Um, I don't agree that he gets unfairly judged in Edmonton. I think most people are. He's got a lot of fans here, and he's had it from the mm-hmm. start. After Larson's great playoffs in 2017, Bruce, we yep. did a poll with 6,000 people, as I recall. Uh, entering in it and 85% of it thought the Oilers got a win. Like they weren't saying that New Jersey didn't do well in the trade, but when they were saying like, did the Oilers also get a win? 85% of people said, yeah, the Oilers got a win out of that trade. You know, he, he had, he had uh, filled a huge void on the Oilers at right D. A huge oh, gaping void. God, it was gaping. Mark Fain. Crater. Mark Fain had been like the top guy on the right side and Justin Schultz. That obviously didn't work out. So, Larson had filled that. He and Clefbaum had kicked it in the playoffs. Then the last two years, due to injury, and his dad, who was 50 years old. I mean, that can't be stressed enough about the impact of his father's death on Larson. Like, you don't expect your father, who's 50, and is apparently a really good friend, to die. Like, these things had a huge impact on Larson. But this year, Bruce, this year, Larson has absolutely been crushing it. And the post I write today is my argument is that... (laughs) Of all the people who really needed a NHL playoffs this year, because this is something Corey Hurst, the commentator, was asking, like, right. who needs an NHL playoffs this year more than anyone else? Who mm-hmm. lost out on it? Shirelli. Because this is the one thing that could change this narrative. Is because yeah. is because Adam Larson was playing his best hockey. And Taylor Hall, frankly, um, you know, Arizona was a better team without him, and New Jersey was a better team without him this year. It's kind of unfair in some ways to rate a player, but I'll tell you what, both teams were expecting Taylor Hall to lead them into the playoffs, and both teams are pretty disappointed right now. So you can say what you want about the impact of one player on a team, but in terms of expectations for a a superstar like Taylor Hall to lead a team into the playoffs, there's two pretty disappointed franchises this year with Taylor Hall. So in terms of narrative, the right. narrative could have changed this year because Adam Larson was kicking it for the Oilers by the end. He was their shutdown D-man that we had hoped he'd always be. If he did that in the playoffs this year, if he, or if he does that in the playoffs, uh, fingers crossed, this year for the for the Edmonton Oilers, you know, the trade st- starts to look a little bit different again. It changes that narrative. So yeah. Well, one, one of the things Shirelli said, um, uh, and, a, and an absolute gaping, <laughs> another crater, in the Gary Ock article, I don't think I see the name Lucic in here anywhere. 
he talked about maybe he should have waited longer for the for the best offer. Well, this the cold hard facts of the matter are Taylor Hall got traded to New Jersey for left first line left wing Taylor Hall got traded to New Jersey on June 29th of 2016 and on July 1st of 2016 two days later uh, the Oilers signed left wing first line left wing Milan Lucic to a seven year contract at the exact same six million dollars that uh, Chiarelli was worried about uh, the contract structure going forward. Well, Hall was a bargain at six million. He had four years to run. Lucic ah. had seven years to run. He was already a significantly older player than Hall. And I guess Trelli had an idea of the, if he was talking about making room in the dressing room for Connor by going out and bringing in another, uh, you know, veteran leader type player, I, I, you know, I'm just, I don't think the narrative holds together very well. You know, uh, how bad, you know, you have to, yeah, yes. How I bad the Lucic signing was, Bruce? I feel like doing a face palm in the coronavirus era. That's how bad the Lucic signing was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a double face palm for. Oh uh, God, he did make some. Then the uh, Reinhardt trade. Uh, Come on, and, man. You know, I mean, like, we he hadn't had, even we watched had... him in the AHL that year. That was a terrible trade. Oh God. Anyway, uh, it, it, that name also doesn't come up in this article. No, you know, I felt he kind of by saying he should have waited for a better trade for McDavid. I thought he, like, as an Oilers fan, I felt like you're kind of throwing Larson under the bus a little bit there. Like, nothing wrong with Adam Larson on a certain level. Like. He is a good hockey player. And, you know, Taylor Hall, let's look at his four years in New Jersey, Bruce. They mm-hmm. didn't, they made the, they squeaked into the playoffs once, quickly got eliminated. He got banged up a lot, which was always my concern well, with Taylor Hall. Always I loved him as a player, but mm-hmm. Manny always was getting banged up. And the team never, uh, you know, they got a decent enough return for him in a trade, but the, it didn't, it's not like Taylor Hall turned that New Jersey franchise into anything. Nothing changed there. They were, they were, ter- and this year when they they acquired all these players and brought in Hughes, the young first round draft pick, brought in PK Subban and Wayne Simmons. They were all and the Russian Guzev. They were all hoping that this team was going to take off. It fell flat on its face, the New yeah. Jersey Devils this year. So anyway, I don't. Like, but I'm, you know, I just think like in terms of the narrative of the of the trade by the end, by the end of Adam Larson's career in Edmonton. And maybe by the end of both their NHL careers, we'll see how people view these two players still. The, the story is not, I'm going to say on that trade, the story is not fully told. And I'm a, maybe I say that because I'm an Oilers and Adam Larson booster. That's probably only about 99% of why I say that. But I, I do think that Adam Larson is a, is a decent, a really good hockey player. I was so glad to see it this year, see him step up again and play well. Yeah, well, the Oilers have had, you know, a ga- gaping crater at right defense for so long. Uh, I mean, for the first three years he was here, Larson was really the only right shot defenseman who you could say had top four pedigree. Yes. And this year, they did, you know, they opened up the, the job and gave Ethan Bear a shot at it. And he's proven that, yes, he is, uh, he, he is and is going to, he projects to be a top four right shooting defenseman for a long time. But geez, that's a lot of years to have, uh, you know, no, no, no uh, top-notch right shots, and and so Lars, like they needed, to, they needed to address that problem. And they did. W- whether he waited long enough, whether he got the right guy, I'm still kind of choked that uh, his old team Boston turned down the Edmonton offer for Dougie Hamilton in 2015. That could have, uh, that could have uh, righted a few wrongs. 
you know, they, they wound up giving up the same picks to get Griffin Reinhardt that they could have got Dougie Hamilton, who was an NHL-proven right-shot puck-moving defenseman at that time, whereas Griffin Reinhardt was uh, a different style of player, better built for a different era, who had lots of... Uh, um, you know, lots of hype locally because of his great junior career, but had never proven anything at the pro level and frankly still hasn't. Honestly, Bruce, I was never that keen on Griffin Reinhardt, even when he was at Edmonton. Here's here's one more thought for you. And maybe uh, this would be my parting thought on this whole thing is that, you know, the Lucic signing, Bruce, that came, I wonder how long Shirley had had that in mind. And was thinking that was a real possibility because that year in the draft they could have taken Kachuk, they could have taken Matt Kachuk that draft, mm-hmm. a, a big tough power forward. But maybe they're thinking, maybe they're thinking, oh, I'm going to draft, I'm going to sign Milan Lucic. I don't have to draft Kachuk. I'm going to fill that hole with Lucic. Just think, Bruce. Even if you make the Larson for Hall trade, but you drafted Matt Kachuk that year, mm-hmm. it's not the Larson trade that was the killer in my view. It was the Lucic signing, like, like. Really, that's the and and you're right. Bruce Garriott doesn't write about that at all. So that that is a hole in the story. Yeah. Well, I, my guess is that the reason that Trelli talked finally talked to Bruce Garriott of all of all people, you know, all these all this time later, is of course his early days were with Ottawa. Yeah. And Trelli was a director of director of player personnel in Ottawa. And so, you know, his old, you know, his old media contact mm-hmm. asked him to open up. And he certainly wrote a, a really friendly story uh, when, uh, you know, with some some of the wordage with and without quotes uh, that, that um, you know, some of it's Shirley's words, some of it's purportedly Gary Ox's, but uh, it's hard to tell them apart, uh, you know, at, at in places. And uh he was, uh, uh, I was just trying to find the one in particular, but uh, anyway, he was uh, in some way, yeah, here we go. Uh, in some ways, Charlie may have been a casualty of his club's early success in Edmonton when he sat down with owner Daryl Cates and Nicholson before taking the job. What, Bob Nicholson? Was he anywhere close to Edmonton in yeah. 2015? Oh, yeah, that was, that was Nicholson's first big mistake. He hired... Shirley without interviewing anybody else. Oh, right, right. It he was, was Nicholson's there, yeah. big yeah. cock up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it Bruce, was just when he was new. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, uh, yeah, here's here. Charlie had worked his whole life and thought of being out of a job, didn't sit well. He didn't deserve to be fired in Boston. And there's a lot of players still on the roster there that he brought in. Yeah, anyway, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a... Uh, Kind of a puff piece in a way, to my eye, the way it's the way it comes across. Anyway, if if Shirley wants to be treated fairly in the media, Bruce, mm-hmm. and he if he really wants to rehab his reputation, I think he's got to answer some harder questions. He should come yeah. on the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs> We'd be glad to have him. Listen, we're not anti like we're not. We have some time, both of us, to talk about the good moves that he's made. We, we've done that in the past. Um, we're not on that. We're not in the camp that says he never did anything good here in Edmonton. So come on the Cult of Hockey podcast, man. We will ask you fair questions, hard questions, and you'll get a chance to explain yourself um, to the hockey world for what you did. And um, I, I think he's going to need to be have a bit better explanations in terms of his thinking 
um, before uh, he starts to win hearts and minds in his campaign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did a lot of work, uh, good work at the building level. His drafts were pretty good when he didn't trade the picks away. His drafts were pretty good. And the farm team was built from, uh, you know, it, it took a couple of years to get the, you know, the picks into the system. But by last year, it was actually ready to start delivering prospects, which we've seen this season. And so that was, you know, that was a problem that was uh, at least improved. Uh, and some of his NHL signings were okay, but, uh, you know, some of the big moves obviously exploded in his face. And the late trades, you know, the trades he made in 2018-19 before he got fired, uh, that whole sequence of uh, Ryan Strom for Ryan Spooner, uh, Drake Kajula for Brandon Manning, third-round pick for Alex Petrovich, you know, like, it's just mind-boggling how how bad those those transactions were one after another. And that was why the team, I think, couldn't wait till the end of the season to get rid of him at that point because it was just all, wasn't going sideways. It was going right off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's leave it there. Thanks for talking today, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Could have had good chuck. <laughs>